I'm in New York for three days. I'm going to squeeze in as many meetings as possible. It's like, okay, I got to be at Midtown at eight. I've got to like go to Soho at this. I'm like trying to like track it all. I remember hobbling into meetings, literally like bleeding through my socks and shoes because I was doing like my three day tour of duty. So yeah. (laughs) I'm Jim Huffman and this is If I Was Starting Today a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. Today on the podcast, I have someone I actually just met a few weeks ago at a coffee shop in in Seattle. It was a, it was a lovely a lovely time. But I have Nick Lang, the CEO of EverPost. I mean, he's been doing a lot more than just that, but he's built a really nice sizable business around video production. So we're going to get into all of that. But Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jim. I love your show. Oh, well, thanks, man. I'm, I don't know. I may well do it at the end, but I need to get your uh, your feedback on what you like. Actually, we'll do it now. What do you like about it? What do you do not like about it? Hold, hold nothing back. What, what can we do better? I like that it's a split between very interesting guests. Loved your Nathan Berry episode. And you've had, I really liked that five CEO roundtable about productized services recently with just you and, and sometimes you and your co-founder just dissecting topics that, that are relevant to you are. I think it's three different businesses that you're running. And it's it's a deep dive. It's fun. It's my other favorite podcast is My First Million. And I think where theirs is a lot of fun because it's all about the shiny objects, you know, looking at, at cool business concepts that are working out there. I like that yours is a deeper dive into the day-to-day of, of running and growing, you know, scaling a business and, and coming from experience. It's really about you and, and these guests breaking down what, what has worked and what what hasn't. And so I think together, these are a good, you know, they're both a lot of fun to listen to for different reasons. Yeah. When you're like in the business mindset, you need something to fuel the fire. It's ha- it's good to have those podcasts in your back pocket. But yeah, my first million, they're probably the best at talking about the shiny objects and the cool business ideas. We, I, I, I try to do some like that. I want to get to that level, but they're, they are so good with that. I'm, well good I, that. I take notes. Yeah. They're kind of like small, like entertainers and comedians in their own right, which, uh, which is pretty good because humor is not always easy, but, uh, but no man. So we, we got connected because we're both in an entrepreneurship group, EO, which I probably talk about way too much on this. We have a mutual friend, Craig Swanson that introduced us and he, he's been on the podcast. He's super impressive. If people haven't heard his story, go listen to that. He's like started and sold like 10 companies, some of very big numbers. He's, he's very impressive, but he, he showed me everything that you're doing and it's pretty insane, but I'd love to, before we get into your business and everything, talk to me about before you became a business owner, tell me like the path that led to like starting businesses. Great question. So I had always enjoyed having my own businesses when I was seven, I was selling these greeting cards that I drew to, to my neighborhood. And, and I found one later and it, and it said, hello with a W at the end. So they weren't, <laughs> they weren't perfect, but you know, the, the, the door to door sales was fun in high school. My business was selling comic books on eBay. And so taking these, like just getting big bulk boxes of comic books that hadn't sold at comic book stores and then repackaging those X-Men or, you know, primarily Marvel comics 
into sets that I thought would be appealing to investors and and then making the eBay auctions really exciting, you know, like really making it look like a, a great pack of comics that you had to have, which was a lot of fun. In college, I started a wedding video business because I knew that I wanted to study film and gathered that weddings are kind of a racket and that you, you can charge a lot of money to, to do, you know, de- decent work. And as long as you catch, catch the moments that, that the couple cares about, they'll be pre- pretty happy with it. So that was my thing. And it allowed me to pay tuition and buy a video camera and, and an editing computer and, and gear that I otherwise would not have had access to. And, and so I used that to make short films, you know, just wild short films in, in my spare time. And I also fell in love with editing because when you have to slog through five hours of terrible wedding footage to make a, a halfway watchable 45 minute edit, you become efficient. You know, you learn how to, how to move quickly and look for things that, that aren't going to make the viewer nauseous. And so I came back to LA. I did a corporate, uh, two corporate jobs. I was a paralegal for a year. I was, and then I joined Universal Music Group. I was in their marketing department, just, you know, a little cog in, in the machine, just an assistant to the, the SVP of sales and marketing. And so uh, it was while I was at Universal that I said, okay, I'm, I'm very unhappy here and, and, and can't see myself going down this path. So I'm going to start a commercial production company and I don't know what that means, but I'm, I'm going to figure it out. And so my first client was a tea company here in LA. And I sent the, the guy that runs it a letter. And I said, I love the story of your tea. I love how you source it and blend it. And, and it's a visually, you know, their packaging was beautiful. You, you could tell they thought a lot about the brand. And I said, I think this would make a really great video. I, I noticed you don't have any videos on your website. I'd like to make one. And so this was in 2009 when that was starting to become important. And I said, I'll do it for free because I'm starting a commercial production company. I don't have a portfolio yet. And I put a DVD in there of, of my, those weird student films that, that I had been making. And so this guy responded immediately. He said, let's do this. He, you know, he, he uh, was ready to make a video right away. So I, that became my nights and weekends gig. I was, you know, doing way more shooting than, than I needed to. And, uh, and so he was happy with that video. He said, thank you guys. This is great. I'm putting it on the website. And by the way, I introduced you to a friend of mine who runs a fitness equipment company. They manufacture fitness equipment and he needs a video for his website. And then this guy, Steve saw it, saw the look on my face and he said, no, 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 don't worry. I didn't tell him you did mine for free. And I said, oh, thank God that would not have been sustainable. Oh, that's awesome. That That's exactly how I started was just doing free work and hoping it was good enough that, hey, maybe they'll give me some money for it. But I want to back up because I also think it's super interesting that because I like you, I, I was like about to get my MBA. I was actually looking at Columbia as well because I was in New York, but I didn't go as far as you. But I just saw those dollar amounts and I'm like, wait, I'm going to pay 200K to learn how to start a business. Why don't I use 200K to start a business, you know, or not even that, right? Because an agency needs no money. That's, was that hard? Did that create any like confrontation or was it eventually okay? Because I don't know about you, but like when you're young, you're always like, oh, this is the path to go down. But then you start to become this independent thing. You're like, oh, wait a minute. That's not the option. Like there's these other options that I can make for myself. Like did, did that cause drama or was that more of they ended up being like, hey, that was the right move? Great. I, I'm a strong proponent of using money that would have gone toward institutional education to instead build build something and pay. I have learned so much more in the field than I ever could have learned in school and, and feel like that's often the case. And so when people ask me, do you do you need film school? I say, I, I, I say flat out, no, 
you know, it, it's fun studying theory and watching old, you know, French New Wave films. And sometimes those come up in, you know, when you're pitching a client, it can be fun to, to drop a reference that makes your <laughs> mediocre idea sound artful. But I, I think, especially with graduate school, unless you really need that degree to get the job at, at the law firm or at the hospital or, or whatever that career is, uh, I think it's much better to get out there and, and just do it. We are the anti-grad school podcast, so that aligns with with what I'm, I'm pushing here. So you, you you do work for free. It works. You're like, wait a minute. Now we're getting referrals. Talk to me about how you land the plane on just being a glorified freelancer to actually a business owner that's running a creative video agency. And so just to give context, I, I mentioned at the top your company Everpost, but before that, for over 13 years... It's Nurture Digital, which is a huge video production company you have created. Like, talk about those inflection points of doing work for Frida. Like, now it's kind of running without you. Is that correct? Yeah. So in in the early days, it, I was a one man band, and so it was just you know many hours of editing, etc. I was literally just walking the streets, you know, the the like high end shopping streets of Los Angeles, knocking on business doors and, and getting random little gigs shooting like a, a promo for a coffee shop and a flower shop and, and paper, you know, a boutique paper press, things like that. And, but then I was introduced by that tea guy, in fact, to an agency that was doing really cool digital work, primarily building these like wild interactive sites for big, big brands like CPK, Discovery, HBO. And I got to make videos for those that were either promoting those sites or that were part of those website experiences. And that was great because then there was, you know, there were brands in there that prospects had actually heard of. So at that point, I got to start building out a, a little team to, to support me. The, the work finally was consistent enough. That was maybe two years in that, that I could uh, support more than just myself. And there were certainly some scary times in, you know, around then and the years that followed where I remember maybe three years when we did a big proposal for a naked juice shoot, which was going to be our biggest project by far. And, and we spent, me and my three or four employees spent like a month doing that proposal, like really pouring every ounce of love we could into it. And, and all of our time didn't nurture our, our other uh, client relationships that you, you kind of, it's a long lead thing. You know, these are big video projects and, and you sort of need to be checking in periodically and a conversation will start, you know, three months before the actual proposal is needed, things like that. And we hadn't been doing that. And so when we didn't win that project, it was demoralizing. I mean, we were crushed. And suddenly I was worried about how I was going to pay these salaries because there was, it was just crickets. There was no work coming in. And so that, you know, gloom hanging over the office ended up being a, a, an opportunity to learn how to do outbound sales for an agency. So we developed what we called our rolling thunder technique, where we would mess, you know, cold email a ton of agencies in the city and then do as many just presentations as we could walk in there with the, we printed these beautiful, glossy, you know, portfolio type type things and we'd go in there with the presentation and just try to dazzle them and leave these. We had printed these amazing, thick letterpress business cards, you know, hoping that those would just live on their desk because they'd be too nice to throw away. And it actually worked a few times. Did that in LA, did it in San Francisco, did it in Chicago. And we scheduled things. So, you know, we were on such a tight budget that we would only be there for two days. So we'd try to squeeze in like nine or 10 or 11 meetings per day. And so I had to be really strategic and, and, and scheduling it so that the, this place was like six minutes away from this one's, and then that one was like eleven minutes from that one. We could literally just run from from agency to agency, and uh, that turned into you know it took a few months before that really we really saw the results of that. But it turned into 
you know, work, a lot of work. And some of those relationships that from that period continue today, you know, 10 years later. Uh, so I think it, it was that, that sense of desperation that forced us to evolve, uh, you know, a skill set that's absolutely, that has been absolutely essential. Okay, we got to back up. Rolling Thunder, this is the best thing I've ever heard. You need to trademark that, and that should be your IP. So let's break this down. So first, I, I love this, because we'll have dry spells where we're like, where are the leads? And it's like, what do you do? And we're always like, okay, it's time to make noise. So we go into the marketing like offensive position. But you're saying, all right, Rolling Thunder, you do it in, like, in a geography. Like, So your ideal clients are going after agencies to hire you to do videos for maybe other big brands where they're kind of bolting you on. Is that correct? It was at the time. Mm -hmm. So you, so you've got your hit list. So you can get a list of like 2000, you do a cold email. What's so good about that email that's getting those meetings? Cause that's impressive in itself. Is it cause you already know them or are you saying you'll do a free pitch or do you put a funny meme in? how do you pull that off? So good, good question. We didn't know them. This was all totally cold. And what made it easy for the agencies to say yes was we were saying, hey, can we come through? We're either, you know, local to you if it, when it was LA or we're going to be in San Francisco for two days, Chicago for two days. Mm. Can we come do a quick demonstration? And sometimes we'd mention some of the other agencies that we were going to be meeting with. So there's that, you know, FOMO. I love it. And <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like the door-to-door salesman. Like, I just talked to your neighbor, Sally. You know, we're going to yeah. do pest control. Do you want us to come to you? <laughs> but it's competitive. I love you. I love your story about the the spider yes. guy. I would have. That guy sounds like a pastor. So it would be, you know, it was a low commit. Okay, so the reason it worked so well for agencies, who we, who those were our prime target at the time, is because their job is kind of to always have a whole roster of new vendors ready, waiting in the wings. So for them, it was kind of like we were helping them do their job. And they got the sense, all right, here's some, here's like a, a hungry, you know, some young hungry people that are cu- going to come in and, and, try to dazzle us and probably work cheaply, which is sort of what agencies love. (laughs) And so it was easy to just go in there, do a quick demo, meet some people and and, and try to leave a favorable impression. Now, I I mentioned that that was our, our, you know, our target prospect list at the time. And, And it was great because when you're a production company starting out, agencies are it's fast. You know, they'll have a job coming up. They need to fill in someone quickly. They'll plug you in if you're cheaper than, than the, even, even than the incumbent. I say, even if it's someone that, that they like and have a good relationship with, if you come in 10, 15% cheaper, suddenly you, <laughs> you have a, you have a shot. And so, and, and that's both why we loved agencies at the time and, and why we have since, uh, tended away from working with agencies because in the years that followed, we would find that we would develop these what we thought were great relationships with agencies who would have us do, uh, you know, a, a sequence of projects and, and everything was great for different clients that they worked on. And then suddenly we would just not hear from them anymore. And then would later learn, oh yeah, you know, there's this other production company did a demo and they just came in like a lot cheaper. So we ended up giving them a shot. And it's like, okay. So, so my perspective became that when, it, when you work with a brand directly, you get an opportunity to, to operate like a business partner. And it becomes less about the budget and more about how well you can help them achieve that, that brand's goals. Because there's this sort of, they, they are investing in you as, as their partner. They're teaching you their brand. You're learning how to navigate yeah, even the executives there and, and make, you know, deliver options that are going to make each executive happy or, or, you know, or these different wings of, of the company that end up getting involved in these projects. You will know they have their own preferences 
and you'll make that marketing executive's life easy. Whereas with an agency, because they're working on a variety of different brands, that that knowledge isn't so relevant. You know, it's always you're always looking at a new brief, learning a new brand right there on the spot. So you become a lot more interchangeable, I think. Well, it's so smart. Like you need the email to get in front of them. You're doing the job for them. Um, you're speaking the language of price, but it makes sense that like eventually you want to pivot from that because you the brand cares about quality and do you get the brand? The agency's like, are you fitting into our margin or not? You know, yes, they want good work, but that's kind of secondary, unfortunately. But one last comment on the Rolling Thunder is like, I, I would do that as well, where I, I mean, I'd go to New York and it would be so exhausting because it's like, I'm in New York for three days. I'm going to squeeze in as many meetings as possible. It's like, okay, I got to be at Midtown at eight. I've got to like go to Soho at this. I'm like trying to like track it all. I remember my wife got me these, these new shoes that were kind of nice, but I, it was so dumb to like break them in, in New York. And by day three, I was like bleeding through socks into my shoes. I was like going into the store, trying to buy like band-aids as I'm like hobbling into meetings literally like bleeding through my my socks and shoes because I was doing like my three That's day amazing. tour of duty. So yeah. <laughs> what what were your demos like? What would you go into and tell them? It would be VC firms and startup accelerators. Cause you can go to one and I could do a talk and then there'd be like 10 to 15 founders there. And then it'd be a lot of direct to consumer companies that I'd be going to just to do a meeting or be an existing client. And so I was just like door-to-door salesman going around because I, I used to live in New York and I'd be in Seattle, but there's so many good consumer-based businesses in New York. Whenever I had to be out there for like, I was doing these little talks and marketing workshops, I'd stay there a little longer and just, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I, w- I wish I would have coined the phrase rolling thunder. That's genius, man. <laughs> yeah. So you you played the the agency game of custom, really nice video work. But as you and I both know, that can be a little exhausting, right? As you're doing all these big projects. Talk about how you got the video agency working where you're able to step back a little bit to where this idea for EverPost came up. And can you explain what that is? I found myself, let's call it four years ago, absolutely burned out because it was very hard to scale nurture past a certain point. I was at the center of everything. So when I couldn't touch a project when I couldn't put enough time into reviewing deliverables before they went out to a client, which becomes the case very quickly, the quality started dropping off. And it was not what these clients expected and and were used to. And that hurt those relationships. Some clients left. And and, and even when they were fine with the work, it kind of hurt my soul to see things going out that were not what they should have been. And so we had a client who, and, and continue working with them today, National Academy of Sports Medicine, who are suddenly ordering large blocks of videos. We produce the courses that they sell. They're a, they sell personal training certification. And so they'll sell these courses that are 80 modules or 100 modules. And we said, how are we ever going to fulfill this? Here in our you know warehouse in LA of editors, this is going to take months and months. We, don't, we didn't have that time to do it. And it's going to cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to do all this editing, just for the editing. They weren't complex videos. It was just so much, you know, hours and hours of content. And so we started exploring uh, international work and, and realized, you know, kept hearing, this was 2017, kept hearing, you know, there's great editors abroad. I didn't know how to manage that. I didn't know how we could get this really dense footage into the cloud. It's terabytes of footage for each project and didn't know how hard it would be to manage remote post-production without being able to sit in, you know, in, in the editing bay or in the, in the 
color studio next to the artist and watch them work and talk to them. And so it was a rocky start, you know, made lots of mistakes in the early days of, of trying to hire people and, and understanding how to manage that process. But we started figuring it out to the point where we could deliver those, those big, you know, the bulk deliveries of videos at a, at a good level of quality. And then once that had clicked into place, I said, okay, I need to make the business about this because I would like to scale this business. I'd like to make it much larger and, and I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to be at the center of everything. I, I had this dream of, of a video production company that, that was like an always on engine that just worked and it would just put out beautiful videos around the clock and I could just watch the videos come out. I wasn't, you know, the, the quality filter or, or the one that had to do all the discovery calls and things like that. And so I was walking around, I had just arrived in Tokyo and I was jet lagged, took a nap in my hotel and woke up at, at about 10 o'clock at night and knew I had no chance of sleeping the rest of the night. So I was walking around the Ginza district, which is this like Blade Runner-esque, super futuristic, you know, fancy area of Tokyo where every uh, storefront, it's all these luxury retailers, has a giant video screen, you know, playing like amazing video content, the whole street going that way. It's silent. You don't hear a single horn anywhere in Japan for that matter. But but it struck me that here we are in this really dense business district. The cars, you know, mostly hybrid or electric cars just like whizzing by. And then people coming back from the bars, a lot of them drunk, you can tell they were with their friends, whispering, you know. And and these the lights on the street are just these shafts of light that that you know elevate from from the sidewalk. You don't see any metal. It's just beautiful. And I said, this is you know, how would I, how would I make video production feel like this, where it's this efficient and it's this futuristic and, and purposeful and, and beautiful. And so then, and then I, I was trying to think of what the name of this company could be. And, and I suddenly just had this vision looking up on a, on a really cool office building of Everpost. And I was like, oh, it'll be called Everpost. And then I spent the next, you know, five or six days negotiating with the guy that had that domain. And then, and that's when Everpost was born. And so what it is, is a it's an it's that always on post production engine and the two real benefits that our customers get over traditional video production are the speed so because we have we have three hubs basically in in different time zones around the world so a project can start in Los Angeles on a Monday afternoon the script can be written it can then be edited in Asia uh, it can then come around to Europe where it's animated and then get back to South America, which is about four hours ahead of us here. And the colorist and, and the sound designer and mixer can be doing their work. And they can get back to that client on Tuesday afternoon. Because while we, you know, we all went to sleep Monday night, that project didn't. It just kept going. And the cost of labor everywhere outside of LA, but but you know, especially outside of uh, the US, is so much lower. The clients are paying about a third of what they're used to paying for assets of that quality. And so it's, it's, we found it's really optimal for a, a couple different types of users. So it's the performance marketer who is always optimizing ads. They're running an ad, they're seeing, you know, the next morning how that performed, and then they can double down. The next day have a new version that makes use of a different tagline, different music, different shots that they want to try. And they say, okay, wow, so this pairing works well. So they'll take those elements into the one that comes out on Wednesday uh, and just continue optimizing. And so you know, I think a lot of performance marketers experience creative assets going stale very quickly. Like they have a shelf life and then they, the performance starts to drop off. So they don't have that problem anymore and they can just continually see what, what messaging is going to resonate and what, what ingredients are going to work. 
without any additional cost. So the the other thing that that I personally really enjoy about Everpost is we never talk about money. So I used to hate with nurture. We would spend weeks or or sometimes over a month just on the proposal, making the proposal, negotiating it, tweaking it. Sometimes we'd have six or seven drafts of a proposal. And these are real hours being being spent changing this. It's not like it's it's free to do that. But no actual work was being done on the project itself. And there was always a deadline. So that deadline was approaching for when this media buy was happening or when this product launch was happening or whatever that that need was. And, and here we are just, you know, wasting away weeks and hours doing talking about money at the end of the day before doing any actual work. And then on the backside of the project, it's all right, guys, you know, this is the fourth or fifth round of revisions. After this, we do have to start charging because we're putting a lot of hours into changing <laughs> yeah. Every time we have to recolor the video because we're putting in new footage, like that that does have cost for it. And that's uncomfortable for us. It strains the relationship. It's uncomfortable for that marketing person because they have their fixed budget. They don't want to go back to their boss and say, hey, it's going to cost more. It makes them look bad. So with Everpost, it's, you know, the only time we ever talk about money is at the very beginning of our relationship with the client when they choose a plan. It's just three plans, depending on what what style of videos they need and, and how quickly they need them. And then after that, it's all, everything is included in those plans. So there's never a cost for voiceover or stock footage or adding animation or changing things. So we get to, we get to focus on the work. And, and I see you've got the packages. It's like the shoot package, the animation package, editing package. What are the ranges of prices? And is it a subscription or is it more kind of pay as you go? Like a shoot costs 10 grand. Like what are the ranges? So it, it is a subscription month to month. So there's no commitment to proceed past the first month. Some clients will come in and say, all right, we just want one video or one video and a, and a version for TikTok and Instagram and YouTube shorts. And that's fine. They'll, they'll spend a month, they'll make a handful of videos and, and, and move on. But our job in that first month is to show them how, why they should stay past one month. And, and usually it works, not always, and that's fine. But what the mind shift, the mindset shift that we're trying to impart on clients is you know, the, the good marketers always have fresh video content coming out. It's not a one and done if you want to continue, you know, being present in your in your customer's mind. And footage should be thought of as a renewable resource. So shoots are expensive. Our shoots can cost 10000 They can cost 50000 We've had shoots that, are, that cost three or 400000 And when a brand can do a shoot and walk away with footage that will be relevant to them for the next five or six years because they're recycling it, repurposing it, giving it new life with new voiceover, new animation, new color correcting, new music. There's so many different ways you can take this footage and repackage it in the ways that even audiences who have seen all of the preceding versions will not recognize those shots. And so the the subscription covers the post-production. So in today's, I think, content production world, post-production is 80% of, of the work being done because of, of what I just said about repurposing assets. So I think the, the effective marketer does, it puts 20% of their energy and resources into, into shoots. And then the rest is how do we keep telling new stories with that footage? And so the post-production plans range from around $2,000 to a little under $10,000. And the way that we frame it is for less than the cost of one full-time employee. So let's say it's like a mid, mid-level mid creative director, which in LA will cost, let's say 120,000 for substantially less than that every year. You'll have that, a very sophisticated creative director dedicated to you, plus an entire you know production team around them. So 
editors, animators, colorists, sound designers, voiceover artists, composers, everything that you need to make these really great videos. And you just plug it in when, when you want it and then and then disconnect when you don't need it. Yeah, that, that's a great way to kind of frame it in the client's mind. It's like you could spend a lot on a very expensive editor or get us when we're cost effective. And by the way, we're pay as you need and we actually do more than what one person could do. I actually want to nerd out on videos for a second because you said something that got my attention as far as working with a lot of marketers to make videos that work. Like as a owner of a growth agency, we spend a lot of time and thought into how do we craft the perfect video for an ad for Instagram or for TikTok. And like from what is the hook to do we do it for persona, like problem solution and then how do you earn trust? How do you end it? What's the call to action? Like, what are some quick tips you could give to people? Like the amount of video content you've probably edited and seen through, you could, you've probably at the 10,000 hour mark for sure. But like, what are some quick advice you'd give to people trying to make good videos? Yeah. Yeah. It, very good question. So I think the, the simple answer is surprise. Whatever you can do to surprise an audience will, will be successful. So we made an ad for, for Fister faucets that was about this new touch-free faucet. And it started as uh, we were making fun of a Calvin Klein ad where I think it was Kate Moss is walking through a house in black and white. And it was very famous, maybe in the 80s or, or 90s. And so we start our ad as that, you know, it's a model walking through a house, except she has this like black goo on her hands and everything she you know she's sitting on a pristine white couch and and as she lifts her hands up there's these big black fingerprints and then she's kind of touching like dragging her hands on the walls and you're wondering why is she ruining this beautiful house and then she finally gets to the the kitchen sink and without dirtying the faucet washes her hands right she the faucet stays pristine as she as she moves her hands under it and so you're thinking okay this is kind of this is weird why why am i why did she do that why am i watching this and then you cut to a full color version of a, a guy in his living room watching that ad on YouTube and he's eating pizza. And he's and he, and he's and he says, you know, what what is this? Like he's baffled. And then he looks down and realizes that he has just gotten pizza grease all over his own couch. And then he stands up and on, on his walk to the kitchen, he trips on the on the uh, on the shades of the or on the drapes of the window which have the same wind that you saw in the, you know, Kate Moss style ad. And so he sort of does, he like lives her entire experience going to the kitchen and then washes his hands without water touching it. And so it was unexpected. You know, it gets across the the core conceit of this is a faucet that you don't need to touch to wash your hands. And and then we did a whole, we did about 20 follow-up videos with this comedian who, who played the, the pizza guy, where he walks you through the features of the faucet. And they're all very ridiculous, right? right? The, the way he uses these features. And then we added features. We made it a beer keg, you know, beer beer faucet. We made it an AI talking faucet. You know, we let this guy, like, we call it Doug's, Doug's Kitchen. And it was like his lab where he could, Fister let him innovate on this faucet. And so we sent that campaign out to various uh, journalists hoping to get some coverage. And a guy at the New York Times picked it up and wrote a full two-page you know, feature on, on this article. And it, and it was really great. And I think the reason it succeeded was because it was so out of the box. And then, for, so a lot of videos are music-driven. And this is a really simple one, but if you can edit very much to the beat of the song, this is something that a lot of editors avoid because they're like, no, 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 I, I, I don't want to be so formulaic. I don't want to 
if you can literally hit every beat of that song, somehow it just speaks to the, to the human soul. You know what's so funny? I, I follow an Instagram account. I don't know why. One of my neighbors actually told me about it. He's a, a big branding guy. He's like, this is the best Instagram account. It's Eggs Tyrone. And it's just clips of people dancing. It'll be like a clogger in Iceland dancing. But then they synchronize it to some like gangster rap song. But it's all perfect for every time their feet hit the ground where you can't stop watching it. So as you're talking, I'm like, oh, that's why I love Eggs Tyrone, because I, I watch anything they do just because of the editing with the, the music is amazing. And it's so conflicting, the music to the people that are dancing. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's really, I'll put the notes. But so surprise is my big takeaway. And it's so true because we're in a world of how do you get attention, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tough fight. It's louder. It's noisier than ever. So if you can nail that, you've got like 70% of it won, and then you probably need a good product as well. We only have like a, like a few more minutes. There's so many other things I want to ask on like Everpost and how you were able to like get that working for four years. You're pretty much doing everything other than sales, but also you have this other thing that you're working on that I'd love for you to kind of hit on because you have the full service agency. You have the productized service. They're running themselves. And why not throw in a third thing into the mix? So you want to speak to that? Yeah. So I became inspired working for a client called NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine, who I mentioned earlier. And, and their business is beautiful. They sell video courses uh, and, and then certifications for people who want to become personal trainers. And so over the years, it's been six or seven years we've worked with them. And we have produced maybe, 15, uh, let's say, 12 or 15 of these. They call them products. And they're just uh, these, these very uh, information-rich video bundles. And I have seen how many of these courses they sell. Every year, it's, it's hundreds of millions of dollars of, of these courses. And, uh, and so, of course, we are on the wrong side of that equation, right? We're just the, the hired guns making, making the videos. Uh, and just to be clear, we're not, we're not writing these uh, the scripts. It's their experts. And they bring together these world-class experts who, who uh, create the courses. We're just turning those into videos. But uh, it has given me this appetite for, for learning those other parts of the process. How do you create a very compelling course? How do you, how do you uh, choose the right subject matter expert and how do you market it? And so the area where we are now doing that is one that we know well, which is uh, post-production. Um, and so we are creating courses for editors, for animators, for colorists, sound designers who want to elevate their careers. It's very much focused on, on creating an amazing career in post-production which I think is a topic that doesn't uh, get enough attention. It's something that I wondered uh, very deeply when I was in film school. Like if I, if I wanted to be just, just an, an editor, how would I turn that into a career? And so the first course that we've made uh, is called The Art of the Trailer. Uh, and, and so the website is maketrailers.com. And it's taught by uh, an EO guy, in fact, here in LA, who runs one of the big movie trailer studios. It's called The Refinery. So he has over 150 full-time editors just in their amazing office uh, in the Valley, editing movie and TV trailers all day long. So about half of the movie trailers you see in the theater are, go through his company. And uh, just a fascinating business. Before meeting him, I didn't even realize that movie trailers were made by outside agencies. They're not made by the studios. And so uh, his name is Brett Wynn. He teaches, or it's a four-hour course. He teaches uh, in, in 22 different modules the process of making a movie trailer from start to finish, 
from developing the creative concept to writing the copy to selecting the right shots, doing the editing, doing the sound design, the music, the motion graphics look to the finishing and along the way working with the client, which is the studio, how to, how to make the most of that relationship and, and make them love you along the way. And what, what we're doing with this course that is fun for me, uh, you know, there's a, there's a company called studio.com that, that has iterated on the masterclass uh, formula really nicely. They do these 30 day cohort based classes uh, where you and about 20 other learners will create a song say with Kygo, they bring in these really great teachers uh, or learn how to create a video with Casey Neistat. And at the end of this course, you have a deliverable. You've made something, you've made a video, you've written a song, you know, you have this tangible outcome beyond just the enjoyment of watching someone that you respect and, and admire teaching you. And so we said, all right, how do we, how do we do that? But go even a level beyond a tangible output at the end. How do we turn that into a dream job, a, a career. And so the top learners from every cohort will get an interview at Brett's company at the refinery. Uh, and so I'd like to do that with uh, other areas of, of post-production. How do we show people who are very passionate, talented editors, animators, etc., uh, not only how to, to elevate their craft, but then how to turn that into the, the kind of career that we all dream of, you know, as, as we're falling in love with editing. That's awesome. And I got to see the trailer for this course on trailers and it was very good, which, which makes a lot of sense, but it, it's so cool. You've got the, the full service agency, that productized service, and now you can do kind of e-courses or, or video courses. And it's all aligned with essentially the same persona at, at different phases, which, which is super cool. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes, but Nick, the question I always like to end with is what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? That's a great question. And, and if it's okay, I'm going to ask you a quick question, uh, after that, bring it. I, I, so I'll keep this response short. You know, there have been a few people that have been champions for us as they move from company to company who have really, you know, it, it can be very hard to get into an entrenched brand that has their matrix of agencies and production companies, finding your way into that uh, can take a long time and you kind of need, or it really helps to have uh, an advocate on the inside. And so there have been a few of these. And so it's people like that who have, you know, gone out of their way to, to help us get opportunities. They didn't have to, they, they everything would have been fine if they just stayed with their current uh, vendors. But, uh, and that's made a huge, huge difference for us. So what I would love to ask you is, you know, Growth Hit has these amazing skills really catapulting brands uh, in the digital marketing space. And it's a skill set that I don't have uh, and a knowledge base that I wish I had. Uh, if you were helping us grow Everpost, where would you start? Oh, man, um, that's a really good question. I mean, the, the way I think about it is like, where are we at? Where do we want to be in 12 months? Because the truth is with most companies that we work with on growth, it's easy to have kind of that shiny object syndrome. Like, oh, we got to be good at SEO. We have to be good at outbound sales. We have to be good at paid marketing. The truth is to get to a certain level of like five to 10 million, you can actually do it on the back of a core distribution channel because you really have four ways you could grow. You can grow through paid, through organic, 
You can go through referrals of virality or the final one is partner channels. So it's choosing one and doing it phenomenally well. And then that will max out, but you can usually take that a lot farther. So I'd be thinking through like what's working now, what's not. Because usually I like to go where there's the momentum and get more sophisticated with the processes and systems. But to be honest, one thing that I think a lot of people don't talk about that's so important is it's not just enough to have a great website or brand or product. You have to have an irresistible activation offer that gets people in the door that does risk reversal that is maybe a tripwire price to let them sample it so you can do a higher cost down the road. So it'd be kind of bundling two things because I think you already have the stickiness with why the product works. So it's like the second thing is what is that activation offer that even when you do cold email, they're like, okay, I'm interested. Like for example, with one day design, we're testing uh, a site CRO audit on where we would start. Do we do that for free or do that for a small price? Um, you know, when HubSpot was launching, they would do their site grader. Um, you know, some people do templates or checklists that you can download or for free. So there's a, a whole spectrum of things you could do. So I'd get, um, and like Alex Hermosi, his book, $100 Million Offer, actually has some really good frameworks for activation. So I'd be thinking through what are some activation offers? One, so you have strategy there. And then two, think through the right distribution channel of where these people live online and if it's doing paid or if it's doing more content marketing. Because I'll be honest, even as you're pitching Everpost, I was like, man, that's really good. Some of that doesn't come through on the website. And it's like, what is that tip of this spear feature benefit to lead with? Because um, like the speed you talked about is really interesting. But it's also, what does the client care about? Speed or quality or maybe a little bit of both? That's like a 30,000 foot view of how I would be testing it. Because I mean, we're in the same boat right now with even one day design. It's like, do we lean into, like we're going pretty heavy into community-based marketing, going into communities to make noise and that's working, but that'll cap out. And then I'm going to probably look looking at paid um, and um, to, to take it up. But, um, but yeah, that, that, that's where my head is at. How will you approach paid? Um, go with very high intent base with Google ads, but um, we have to be very cautious with what game we play in because some of those clicks are very expensive, but also priming it with, with social ads because we have a big enough addressable market of people that just need design where um, I feel pretty good about social. Um, but um, the, yeah, until we're spending over like, 25 grand, 50 grand a month, I wouldn't be looking outside of those two channels on paid. Um, but some other channels could be good for mm. organic. That's great. I, I would love to talk more about this. I need, I need to. Tap. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. I like how you, you put me on the spot. That was awesome. Um, but I, um, no, that's a really cool story. It's all about getting those advocates for people to help with brands and companies when you're just getting started. But, um, but Nick, where can people go if they want to learn more about you and what you're working on? You can find, uh, us online everpost.com on linkedin we are uh, pretty active uh, and then at maketrailers.com to check out the art of the trailer movie course that's a good domain you got as well so good job there but um nick it's been awesome to talk to you again and thank you again for coming on thank you jim that was fun today's episode is brought to you by no one yep we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, 
I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.